Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. That's me. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, we're going to talk to the Athletics' Lindsey Jones about the AFC teams who might have a shot at beating the Chiefs in the conference championship game next year if the Chiefs do make it. Before we get into all of that, though, I wanted to quickly tell you guys about another ESPN podcast. It's the right time with Bomani Jones, the excellent podcast hosted by the man himself, Bomani Jones. It has it all. Hot takes meaningful discussion and great guests, including our friend Dominique Foxworth every week. It's three times a week and make sure you're downloading and following the right time with Bomani Jones, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the Ultimate Fighters Back, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega coach men's bantamweights and middleweights who have put their lives on hold for the chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream new episodes every Tuesday, only on ESPN Plus, and sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash UFC. And now here's Lindsay talking about everything related to the Chiefs and their competitors in the AFC. All right, joining me now, here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a regular contributor to the podcast, an excellent podcaster in her own right on the Athletic Football Show. And a great journalist for The Athletic. It's my friend, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, what's up? Hey, Bill. How's it going? I am good. You, on the other hand, as we (laughs) talked about before the show, are struggling. And why is that? I have a almost 11-week-old puppy Mm. who isn't so into sleeping. (laughs) So uh, if any of my takes are bad tonight, I'm going to blame Nellie, the Labradoodle, for interrupting my sleep. I don't think I've slept more than six hours at any point since she came home three weeks ago. And I'm also the parent of a young child. So, uh, yeah, it, it hasn't, the sleep situation hasn't been great, but both the child and the puppy are ridiculously cute, Mm. which makes, makes up for it. But yeah, if anybody has any tips for getting your puppy to sleep past five 30 in the morning, uh, my DMS are open. Can you get, uh, I'm asked for dogs. I know you can get them for people. I mean, I was doing some Googling and it was like white noise machine. And it's literally all the same stuff you do to like get your child to sleep better Mm -hmm. as the same stuff for getting a puppy to sleep better. Um, So we're going to, we're going to work on that um, and see if maybe we can get her. But I will say right now she is sleeping soundly on the floor of my office. So she sleeps great at noon. We'll just, (laughs) if we could get her to do that before 6am, that would also be preferable for my sanity and my uh, production. (laughs) At least it's the off season. That was smart timing on your part. Getting this dog, you know, in the middle of October would have been a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's, that is true. I will say though, we're, we've done the puppy backwards. Most people got their new dog at the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You were just home and nothing was happening. And we waited and brought her home like the minute that everything opened up and you could start (laughs) traveling again. (laughs) So we did this all wrong, but she's really cute. Go to my Twitter by Lindsay H Jones. You can see lots of pictures of Nellie, uh, Mm -hmm. the Labradoodle. um, While we're in the NFL off season and everybody else is just yelling about Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones trade speculations, you know, come see, come see pictures of my puppy. Yes. More likely to deliver than Aaron Rodgers trade speculation is uh, Nellie being cute on Twitter. Now you have an 11 year old puppy. This is going to be my segue into the topic for the show. I'm going to need a minute to get there. So please be patient. You have an 11 week old puppy who is still trying to figure out how to do things. Today, we are going to talk about the teams who are competitive with the Kansas City Chiefs, who might have a shot of beating the team who I think we all expect to be there in January in the AFC Championship game on one side of the field, the Kansas City Chiefs. Not only now, really, but because they have Patrick Mahomes signed for the next bajillion years, for years to come. Every team in the AFC has to contend with the thought of having to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. Now, the team that got there last year, team that almost beat the Chiefs, was a team that drafted the NFL equivalent of an 11-week-old puppy in Josh Allen, who was (laughs) athletic and, by all accounts, meant well, but was not very good at football. And a couple of years passed. You do a little bit of training. You start doing some exercises. They get better sleep. Suddenly, wow, Josh Allen 
looks like an absolute superstar. And the Bills made a great run, an awesome season from Buffalo at 13 and three. They make it through the first two rounds of the playoffs. And, you know, I know it was 38 24 in the long run. I know that it wasn't, um, you know, all that close of a game by the time the Chiefs pulled away in the third and fourth quarter. But the Bills were a team that heading into that game, we expected them to give the Chiefs a scare. I mean, it, it was a not like we were expecting the Chiefs to blow them out. So as we talk about these teams here, we're going to go through the rest of the AFC, through the, the competitors, I should say, in the AFC. We're not going to talk about the chances of the Houston Texans beating the Kansas City Chiefs. Sorry, Texans fans. But we're going to start with Buffalo and work our way around the AFC a bit. And Lindsay, I just want to get your sort of insight here into whether these teams have done enough for you to really sit here in where are we June beginning of June right now and believe that they can actually beat the chiefs in the AFC championship game. If it comes down to that in January of 2022. So let's start with the bills, obviously a team that got as close as possible last year. Do you think given what they've done this off season, given what they have to work with on their roster, given how we expect them to age and develop over the course of the next few months. Do you think the bills have done enough to really have a shot at beating the chiefs in January? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, they have to be that next team, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, them and maybe one or two other teams that we, that you can look at and say, okay, these these teams have a realistic chance. Um, And I really like the premise of kind of this exercise because this is really how I tend to you know, when I do power rankings or when I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of evaluating the league. And this is not just, this is not a new thing for me. I think for a long time, I always looked at the AFC within the lens of how are these teams built to compete with the Patriots and to potentially beat the Patriots in January. And now it's really shifted to, um, to, to the chiefs. And obviously I live in Denver. I cover the AFC West a lot. And so I look at everything kind of through that prism, right. Of, how much closer are you to the chiefs and every single move that the chargers make, the Broncos make the Raiders Mm -hmm. make. And then, you know, I think we have to do that for the rest of the, you know, the rest of the league. So I really like the premise of this and not just saying like who are contenders and who are not contenders, but how are you actually set up to beat the team that Mm -hmm. is the high watermark right now? And, you know, when you, when you look at the bills, you know, I, I think the most important thing about the bills and how they're built to potentially compete with the chiefs is the fact that they kept a lot of who they are intact. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, back in January, my big question or my biggest question about them was, are they going to lose Brian Dable? You know, the guy who, you know, I think is really, you know, really responsible for, or, you know, a lot partially responsible for Mm -hmm. Josh Allen's development and his leap and designing this offense that has really unlocked something within Josh Allen. Um, You know, and then they, they kept, a lot of their important pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like some of the wide receiver moves. I like them bringing in Emmanuel Sanders. I thought that was a really kind of like low risk move where he's going to, mm-hmm. I think he's going to fit in really well there. He's the type of kind of veteran guy that they need. Um, and he, he plays well in really big games and he's mm-hmm. kind of, he knows what it takes to kind of take that, that leap, right. He's played on a lot of super bowls. He's played on a lot of really big moments and, for as much of a kind of diva wide receivers he can be, he's actually really good for young receivers as well. And I think him and Stefan Diggs will kind of be a really fun, um, a fun pairing to watch. But, you know, I think for them, it's more that, you know, they're just kind of keeping a lot of this together and mm-hmm. that they are, um, you know, they brought back some of their, their important offensive linemen. They re-signed Matt Milano. I mean, the linebacker where it's just you know, I think they realized that they were building this thing the right way. They mm-hmm. were on the right trajectory. Um, are they closer? Are they closer to the chiefs? You know, and, and that AFC championship game too is a little skewed because Mahomes was not healthy. That's true. In that game. Um, you know, he had come off the concussion from the week before he was still dealing with the turf toe, their offensive line. That was the game that they lost Eric Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have Mitchell short. So it's like, we weren't exactly seeing the best version of the chiefs offense in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to pick kind of a team that it seems to be kind of built to compete year in and year out with the chiefs, I think it would be Buffalo. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that the first time those two teams played really, the bills kind of just gave up the run. They said, okay, you know, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, you can run the ball all you want. Like we're going to just be hands off. We're going to take away big plays. Mahomes was 21 of 26 for 225. So 
you know, I mean, still got his numbers in, but was not a big factor in the game. And, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire was 26 for 161 behind, like you said, a healthier version of that Chiefs offensive line. So, you know, I, I think it wouldn't shock me if Mahomes was healthy, if they went to that strategy again, where it was okay, we're going to give up the run. We're going to try and, you know, hold you to field goals in the red zone and then score on offense. And I mean, I think what, what really makes the Bills the best candidate here is that they can get hot. I mean, the Chiefs, when they get hot, the Chiefs are on a different level from everybody else on offense, right? Like when they are on fire in the red zone, when they're hitting big plays, like it, it's just, it looks like a different sport. But for the Bills, I don't think they're all that far off when it comes to yeah. how good they can look when their offense gets going yeah. and it looks unstoppable, which we saw really after their bye week during the final five or six games of the year. Well, no, as we're doing this exercise today too, I think there's a couple ways that are helpful to look at it. And one of them mm-hmm. is, is you know that when the, when the Chiefs are the Chiefs, when the Chiefs are, as you said, firing on all cylinders, when everything is working, when Mahomes is healthy, when they kind of have that ability to do whatever they want, can the other team, in this case, the Bills, mm-hmm. do they have a quarterback, a play caller, the offensive weapons to match that? to go blow for blow, drive for drive, where, you know, look, we, we shouldn't, maybe it's unrealistic to expect that the Chiefs would score every drive, <laughs> but we have seen games and we have seen games in the playoffs where they can do that. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of teams that are built in a way that they can, they can do that, that they have a quarterback who is up for kind of going blow for blow and, mm-hmm. um, you know, engaging in these type of shootouts. And, and the Bills, I think, do that. And I, and I think we saw that sort of development out of Josh Allen last year the one kind of lingering question the like one like nagging thing out there is is this just the start for josh allen Mm -hmm. on his trajectory and if it is just the start and if he is going to be the player he was in 2020 and a better version of that as he continues to develop then i absolutely think that he's that this could be the next big the next great AFC rivalry. If he has some sort of regression, if it was like a one-year blip and he goes back to kind of being the turnover machine or um, those sorts of things, then, Mm -hmm. then they're not, but you know, he, he does have that makeup to him. He's got that gunslinger thing to him. They're going to be aggressive on offense. I think, Um, you know, we've seen games where they just completely forget that they have a running game um, and are willing to just throw, 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 throw. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but that's what I think makes, makes the bills maybe the most intriguing option. Is there anything defensively that we hadn't touched that you think makes them competitive in a way that they could stop the chiefs that maybe some other AFC contenders can't, I would say maybe just, they can create turnovers and bunches. I mean, this is a team that beat the Seahawks in a game where they had four takeaways. They beat the dolphins in a game where they had four takeaways in week 17. Um, they had like seven, two takeaway games last year. Uh, third in the NFL in takeaways in 2020. And I think that's sort of one of the ways to do this is that, you know, you're basically your two ways of beating the Chiefs are hold them to field goals or create two or three takeaways and give yourself short drives. And I think the Bills have that sort of game in them where they can pull it off against a competitor. And we know that, you know, uh, we saw certainly in the Bucks game last year in the Super Bowl, but also really in the Super Bowl the year before, the Chiefs have games where they will turn the ball over. The Dolphins game was a good example mm-hmm. where they turned the ball over four times and the Dolphins really should have won that game and ended up not pulling it out in the long run. But that sort of gives you that opportunity to open the door. And then I think the Bills have the ability with their offense, with their effectiveness, and then with their versatility. I think that's a really good point you brought up is that they're going to really be able to customize their stuff from week to week. They're not afraid to change what they do. And I think when you're playing a team as talented as the Chiefs, you kind of have to. You know, you have to adapt. You have to be willing to shift your game plans. And there are teams that just are not that flexible. Uh, And and I think that really lends itself to being, uh, giving them the best opportunity to win. And and I think that when I look at other teams in the AFC East who might be willing to compete with the Chiefs, I look at the Dolphins, but, but even more so maybe the Patriots as a team where they also have that versatility when it comes to week to week and, and changing their game plans. My concern when I think about the Patriots is just, do they have the quarterback play to keep up with Mahomes? Yeah, and I don't think they, I don't think they do. And there's, I, I think there's going to be other teams on this list that we talk about that do, mm-hmm. and those are the teams that I'm going to put high up on my list of being able to compete with and potentially 
beat the Chiefs because ultimately I think that's, you know, while we all kind of came out of the Super Bowl with this idea of like, okay, there's this blueprint. This is how you beat the Chiefs. I'm not sure if that was realistic because of just the the shambles that the Chiefs were in, (laughs) in that game, what the Chiefs have done since then. And then just really the unique way that the Bucks were built and coached and constructed and all of those things that like, sure, that's the blueprint, right? But you also have to hope that one, you, you're playing the Chiefs when they're at their worst offensive line situation that they've ever had, that Patrick Mahomes is dealing with turf toe. Mm-hmm. And you also have, you know, multiple elite pass rushers. You have one of the best defensive coordinators and creative blitz designers mm-hmm. and aggressive defensive play callers like you have in Todd Bowles and really good uh, defensive coverage, defensive backs on the back end. Um, there's not a lot of teams that are built yeah. the way that the Bucks defense was. So like, it sounds great in theory of like, Oh, this is the blueprint of beating the chiefs, but good luck recreating that exact, you know, kind of perfect scenario that the Bucks put together in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Absolutely. And I think you have to have another way to win. I think for the bills, one of the yeah. reasons we bring up is that they have multiple ways where they could be competitive with the chiefs. They could be competitive in a shootout. They have the ability to get that three, four takeaway game, uh, and and try and win that way and get a couple short fields. When I look at the Patriots, it, it's funny because you think about that game they played last year, the game where Cam was out with COVID and they started Brian Hoyer. I mean, Brian Hoyer was about as bad as yeah. any NFL quarterback was in a game last year. He got benched in mid-game for Jared Stidham. This was still a competitive game. I mean, the, the Patriots were down 6-3 at halftime. Um, they were down 13-10 in the fourth quarter before the Chiefs scored. And then Hoyer, I'm sorry, was it Hoyer or Sidham? I think Hoyer was the one who threw, no, Jared Sidham threw the pick six. And then that was it for the game. Um, But it was a, it was competitive. And that was with a weakened Patriots team. So, I mean, do you have faith in Bill Belichick to slow down this offense, given the personnel they have on defense? And I guess the big question is, you know, do you think whether it's Cam or whether it's Mac Jones, they have a quarterback who can at least be functional enough uh, to, to, to get to 24, 27 points and win a game against the Chiefs, especially if it's at Arrowhead. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking at the, the Patriots and we're talking about, okay, so somehow the Patriots, the Patriots make the playoffs. Are they a wild card team? They finished second in the AFC East. They've made it to the divisional round and it's you know, Patriots, Chiefs, the second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think if let's say, let's say they were going to play 10 times, I would probably pick the chiefs to win eight of those times, Sure, but the wild card there is that yes, the chiefs do have stinker of offensive games in them. It it has happened from time to time. Usually those games are close enough that you're going to give Patrick Mahomes another shot and he's going to win all of those close games. I mean, I think, I think his record of close games is still intact, right? I mean, they, they lost the, um, they lost the super bowl when it wasn't close, but when it comes to like close games, I'm giving, give me Mahomes. 10 out of 10 times, mm-hmm. but I do the, the Belichick thing. And especially with better personnel, a better defensive roster that I think they very clearly understood that they had a lot of roster deficiencies last year. I still, you know, am really intrigued by the idea that Belichick, the defensive mastermind that he is can construct one game plan that can take away, that can figure out a way to slow the chiefs down or stop mm-hmm. the chiefs. Um, I don't think they have the type of, you know, the Bucks level of personnel where they could recreate exactly what the Bucks did. I don't think mm-hmm. they have the, that level of pass rushers. I don't think even their, their defensive backs as a whole are that good or, or as good as the Bucks were. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bill Belichick is the best defensive coach of all time for, mm-hmm. re- for, for very good reason. And what he's does so well is he can design one game, one, one defensive game plan to completely disrupt any offense. I mean, I even think back to what they did in the Super Bowl against the Rams mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, just really illustrates like how, how good he is at that. So I don't think I'd want to say that they, you know, in a one game scenario that I would say they're off, that, that they'd be off the table, that they couldn't compete with them. I guess my questions with the Patriots are more how they're built long-term and Mm -hmm. how they would even get to that point of being that far into the playoffs. Like, are they, did they do enough this off season where they can compete with the bills in the AFC East to become a playoff team? 
um, or the Patri- or or the Dolphins, excuse mm-hmm. me, let alone a team that's ready to take that leap of being a an actual AFC contender. That's totally fair. Um, I, I think I agree. I mean, I think it really come down to, you know, it, in those two games, the Patriots went out of 10. I feel like they just create three or four takeaways, which we know they can do. In 2019, their defense was good enough that they were able to have those, you know, six, five, four game or four takeaway games and propel themselves to victory. Now, those didn't always come against teams as talented as the Chiefs, but I, I think that's their path. And I agree that I think we don't know that they're better than the Bills. And I think it would take a step down from Josh Allen for the Patriots to have a real shot at winning the AFC East. I think they're going to be better than they were in 2020, of course, because they've added so much back on defense through COVID opt-outs. And then, of course, on offense, invested a lot of money to improve the team. But I do think that, um, you know, it it would take, I, I, I can't count on the quarterbacks to play at a high enough level for them to win a shootout, you know, with the Brady era Patriots. Yes. I think he was good enough to do that. The Mac Jones era Patriots, unless Mac Jones is a star from day one, I am admittedly pretty skeptical. And I guess when it comes to the dolphins, I mean, we saw them sort of collapse at the end of last season, but you know, it's sort of the same question, right? I mean, they've certainly added a bunch to the offense this off season, but do you have enough faith into a tango Viola as opposed to last year where, like I said, they had a game of the defense forced for takeaways, I think pretty early, actually, in that game. They were up 10 nothing, and then the Chiefs just you know, blitzed them as the game went on and, and turned a 10 nothing lead in the second quarter to a 30-10 lead midway through the third quarter. Um, do you think the Dolphins have done enough to get to the point where they can be competitive with the Chiefs, even if they don't force four takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like about their defense and the way that they potentially you know, match up, you know, I think they were really starting to build some stuff last year. You know, the Jalen Phillips pick is kind of that, you know, I don't know if he's going to, they're exactly how they're going to use him kind of Mm -hmm. as an edge rusher. I mean, I think he's, it was, there was a little bit of risk given his injury history there, but like a ridiculous athlete who I think is really going to just help them um, help their pass rush consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think their secondary is really good where you have, you know, Xavier Howard, who you can rely on to, you know, if we're talking specifically about a game against the chiefs, mm-hmm. you know, he's a shutdown corner and you do you put him on Tyree kill. Is he a guy that you think that you could try to put on Travis Kelsey? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting matchups that could be favorable for the dolphins, but, but ultimately the, the thing about the dolphins, right. Is, is who is Tua? What is the offense going to look like in year two of Tua? Um, I want to give the dolphins the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. when it comes to some of this, because I think they've been really, really smart the way that they've gone about this rebuild. Um, you know, I think the, the two is quotes last week where he talked about not really knowing the playbook last year. And that was kind of his fault. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting that he would kind of admit that, but I also wonder how much of it is that was just kind of the plan to simplify the offense as they got mm-hmm. this guy playing time. You know, I think we've, a lot of us have been pretty critical of like, they didn't have the offense wasn't explosive under Tua. They didn't, they didn't go downfield a lot. Well, how much of that was because they didn't have the weapons, how much mm-hmm. of it was because Tua wasn't able to do it. You know, I think if if he's able to make checks and get in and out of different calls and Jalen Waddle can become a good player as a rookie, you know, you you add in Will Fuller, who's obviously a proven deep threat wide receiver. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think their offense suddenly looks a lot more dynamic, at least on paper, but it's all just going to be what does the offense look like from Tua and what sort of um, what sort of personal development does he have? And mm-hmm. then what new things do they design for him to make it just to make this offense more explosive and dynamic for him in year two? Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, it's a little comforting to hear that because if it was physical, if it was, oh, well, you know, my hip yeah. wasn't hundred percent and I couldn't throw downfield, that would be scary. That would be a really big concern. So we're going to say, okay, well, I just didn't have a great grasp of the playbook and, you know, it was a, d- a different offense and I had to get used to it. That makes me feel a little better that there might be an improvement here with a new coordinator and with the full offseason as the number one guy heading into 2021. And certainly they did add players who can make plays downfield in Fuller and Waddle. Um I, you know, I I I think that they're probably better equipped than the Patriots, just because I have a little more faith in that secondary. I know the Patriots, of course, have a great secondary, don't want to criticize them, but just that Patriot secondary is getting up there. Stefan Gilmore probably isn't the same player he was two years ago. 
Uh, Devin McCourty probably isn't the player he was two years ago. With the the, the Dolphins have a younger secondary. Um, of course, I think the big thing is just keeping Savian Howard healthy, which has been a problem for most of his career. But uh, that is a secondary that can be really scary and force a ton of takeaways. And you know, every week they come into the game and you expect them to come away with two or three takeaways. So um, you know, if they can get that four takeaway game against the Chiefs and you get more out of Tua as a passer than you did with a really conservative and really not very scary scheme in 2020, um, at least we're given to his skills. You know, I do think you have the possibility of making things happen. And I think Brian Flores is someone who can be creative. Maybe he's not on Todd Bowles' level quite as a exotic blitz maker, but I do think he is someone who we saw in that Rams game can really befuddle the opposing quarterback and the opposing offensive coordinator. So I do think that uh, the Dolphins have that in them. And I think that that would be a really fascinating matchup. You know, I think it's going to take a, a second year leap from Tua, but if he takes that leap, that could be a really scary football team. What, what do you think of this kind of co-offensive coordinator situation, the George Godsey, Eric Studisville co-offensive coordinator for this like really important year for Tua? Let me ask you, Lindsay, have you ever heard a co-coordinator or co-coach situation where it's worked out? I mean, is this like that you have two quarterbacks, you have none? Exactly. Type That's of what it situation? feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know George Godsey at all. So I feel like I maybe I'm not, maybe I should, should be careful how I, I speak about him, but I've known Eric Studisville for a very long time. He was an assistant coach in Denver for the entire time, basically the entire time I covered the Broncos and has been one of those guys who like has been ready to be an offense coordinator and a play caller. Mm-hmm for a very long time. And I think a a guy who's kind of gotten caught up in the reluctance, um, the overall reluctance of coaches, head coaches and GMs or whoever it is to find their coordinators and head coaches out of the running back Mm -hmm. coach position. And he's been there. He's been ready to do it. So I like, I kind of wish that like, I would love to see what can Eric Studisville do and as like a true offensive coordinator play caller. Um, but it's just going to be interesting. Does it kind of like passing game, running game? Like how is this divided up? Who is the guy who's going to be in to his ear? Is it going to be Godsey? Like, what are they? I, I'm very curious. Um, but I mean, as I kind of said, though, I think they've done a lot of really smart things there. And Flores mm-hmm. has made very few missteps along the way, which you cannot say for guys who have come out of the Patriots tree. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he and Mike Vrabel and all that. Although, do we count Vrabel as part of the Patriots tree? I'm not sure if we should, right? Because well, he, wasn't he didn't actually, coach. he never coached for Belichick. So, I mean, Flores right now, I mean, he's still fairly young in his coaching career, but like mm-hmm. he's kind of on the trajectory where he could be the star pupil, like the star of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Um, he's made very few missteps. So I do want to, I don't want to like criticize the co-offensive coordinator thing too much before we actually see it in practice, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried that it's like too many, too many cooks. Mm-hmm. That's totally fair. So in the AFC North, three teams stand out, no disrespect to the Bengals, but Steelers, Ravens, Browns, all playoff teams last year, all 11 wins or more. Lindsay, of those three teams, is there any one of those three that you think are best positioned to really push the Chiefs uh, if they were to match up in the AFC championship game? Okay. So I don't think it's the Steelers, you know, if we're like eliminating one, I think you take the Steelers out, um, out of that mix. I mean, I still think there's a lot to like about their defense. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have some really good offensive talent, but if we're talking, you know, if I'm looking at a lot of this through the lens of how explosive is your offense, how ready is your quarterback to get into a shootout type of situation? I just don't think that 87 year old Ben Roethlisberger and the version of him that we saw Last year, even when they were winning, well, they were eight and zero or nine and zero, whatever it it was that they were. Um, I, I just I don't think it's the Steelers. So, you know, for me, it's looking at the Browns and the Ravens, and I think they're kind of two different conversations. I think that the Browns are a more complete roster, mm-hmm. top to bottom. I think maybe their their floor might be a little bit higher, but maybe their ceiling is slightly lower because Lamar Jackson just gives the Ravens this like infinite ceiling when everything is working. And he Mm -hmm. gives you that factor of that. He could do anything in any game um, that just about it, that Mahomes might be the only other guy in the league that has that ability. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I love so much about what the Browns have done. I love their 
you know, the running game. I love a lot of the defensive moves that they've made. I think they've just made some really smart additions over this off season, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of some of the, you know, the, like the, the John Johnson signing, but, you know, I loved that. That was one of my mm-hmm. favorite free agent moves. Um, and then some of like the bargain moves that they've made, the Malik Jackson, you know, even Jadavian Clowney, who, mm-hmm. you know, he hasn't brought much, but that's kind of a low risk. Like he doesn't have to go in there and be like the guy on their defensive line, but maybe you can get some limited mm-hmm. production out of him. You know, I think they've made some, some smart defensive additions to fix some of the, the holes that they had. Um, I just say that maybe their ceiling is slightly lower than the Ravens just because give me Lamar Jackson over Baker. And that's not saying that Baker's not good. Browns fans don't get all up in my mentions. <laughs> they were all up at, they were all over us after we did our future quarterback draft a couple of weeks ago, because I think he was 15th in a 15 player draft. And that wasn't saying that we think he's a bad player or anything. It was an exercise where you have to take into consideration who the player is, what his contract situation is going to be like, what, you know, what do you do with him for five years? And I think he's in a good situation a very, you know, much better than the situations he was ever in early in his career. Um, and then I think, I guess the other thing too, is like, they, we saw them play, right. We saw the chiefs and the Browns play in the postseason, And I don't remember being any point in that game where I really thought the Browns were going to win that game. I still oh. thought the gap between those two teams is pretty significant even with Patrick Mahomes, not, I mean, that was the game where he got, he got hurt, right. Where he yeah, got, that was the game where he got concussed. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, there was a little bit then it was like, well, shoot, if, if Mahomes is out, but even then it was kind of like the chiefs are, the gap is still, the gap is still pretty large there where I think if you, you think about a Ravens chiefs game and a potential playoff game, if everything is working for the, the Ravens, I think that could be a really exciting. I mean, we, this time last year, weren't we just like all jazz for every single Ravens chiefs matchup mm-hmm. for the next 10 years. And I don't, I think even, you know, maybe if Lamar took a little bit step back last year, which we should have all expected, he wasn't going to keep up his 2019 pace. That's just unfair for anybody to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think he has that potential to make any game a really exciting close game. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Mostly I, I would leave the Steelers out. I think they got hit pretty hard this off season. I think it would take a really dramatic improvement from Ben Roethlisberger to get the Steelers back to where they were during the first half of 2020. And I mean, the guy is old, you know, the yeah. guy, like he's not the guy he used to be. Maybe he will be, you know, stranger things have happened. Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl, but, um, the but team Tom Brady's playing a lot better than Ben Roethlisberger. Like, yes. I, and Tom Brady massively, or not massively, but significantly upgraded the talent around him. Yeah. I mean, he went to a much better team. And the Steelers, you know, obviously Ben's not leaving the Steelers, but he went from a team that was had pretty good talent around him last year, but to a team that now lost two of their starting offensive linemen in Pouncey and Phil in the Wave, a, a team that uh, lost, you know, Bud Dupree, that lost Stephen Nelson, that lost, um, you know, pieces on both sides of the football. That's not going to be as impressive and you know maybe he takes a big leap forward stranger things have happened but i i I can't count on that happening um with the browns i I think you brought up that playoff game and i think that's the sort of the frustrating thing if you're a browns fan is that you know if you weren't going to do it in a game where uh, patrick Mahomes gets hurt and he's out for the last quarter and a half when are you going to do it i mean that that was a browns team that was down 19-3 at halftime, they've done a good yeah. job, you know, keeping the Chiefs from scoring touchdowns. They had two field goals in the second half to kind of, you know, uh, help keep the Browns in the game. And of course, you get the touchdown, and then Mahomes gets hurt. Henny throws an interception in the end zone, and the Browns did make a run. They did have a possession, I believe, in the fourth quarter with a chance to win that football game, and then it stalled and they had to punt. But you know, the chances that you're going to end up in a playoff game against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is not going to be there for a chunk of the game are so slim. And you have to take advantage of that when you have the chance. And the Browns could not. So to me, regardless of what you think about Baker, you know, the, the Baker was playing well, very well in the second half of the season, yeah. very well in the postseason. Um, he was not the problem necessarily in that game, but I, I just don't know if they have that next year. I think it's going to, you know, I, I love I love the moves they made this offseason. But I just don't know if they have that ceiling. Maybe they do. You know, obviously, when they beat the Steelers in the wildcard game, they look great. Um, But I'm just skeptical of that. And with the Ravens, 
you know, it's only a three game sample. So you don't want to rule anything out, but it just feels like the Ravens just do not have the answers for stopping the chiefs. I mean, Mahomes and has been just incredible. The three times these, these two teams have played Lamar has actually been in all of the games. I believe he got hurt Mm -hmm. in the game where he was the, he was a rookie. I think Robert Griffin came in maybe for the, uh, for overtime in that game, if I'm not mistaken, I think Lamar got hurt in overtime. Um, and you know, I, I, the Ravens certainly, you know, have the pieces on offense to make things work. I think they have got better on offense this offseason, and, and certainly they have an incredible secondary. But that secondary just has not mattered. The blitz packages the Ravens have been dialing up to take care of Mahomes have not worked, and I don't think. You know, unlike the Bucks, where the Bucks had the pieces to win one on one, where they didn't have to blitz really in that in that Super Bowl. They you know they they think that was probably their plan B was let's blitz, let's bring more pressure. But they never had to get to plan B because plan A was working. They were getting home with three, four people. I don't think the Ravens have the personnel up front, especially without Matt Judon now, who's not going to be there. I don't think they have the pieces to win rushing three and four against the Chiefs. So can you get home with those blitzes when you haven't got home the first three times? I mean, you don't want to rule it out, but I just having seen this game three times, it's felt three times like the chiefs were the better team. Yeah. And I think, you know, I feel like we've talked about this a lot on, you know, on our podcast. And I think you've talked about this too, where it's like, what, what's the best defensive game plan for when you're playing the chiefs. And we know who, Wink Martindale is, we know how the Ravens want to play and it doesn't match up well with what the chiefs do. I mean, if you're a blitz heavy, you live by the blitz, you die by the blitz. Like, do you want to just be who you are? And that's what they've done, you know, and it's been frustrating to watch. I mean, there was, it was a Monday night game fairly early last season, right? It was like week three or four. And I just remember like screaming at my television, like, what are you doing? Why do you keep blitzing him? Because Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the, the current NFL against the blitz. Mm-hmm. And, but that's just who they are. That is their defensive DNA. That's what they're going to do. And so are you willing to just continually die doing, doing that? So I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see if they try something different um, because that, you know, I think offensively they can do it. Um, I like the, 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 some of the, the offensive changes that they made this year, just in terms of, things that they needed to do to make their passing game more dynamic. I do have some questions about what this kind of retooled offensive line mm-hmm. is going to look like. I mean, that was a pretty, you know, you, you sent one of your best offensive tackles to the chiefs. Yeah. So that that makes this, um, that dynamic a little bit more interesting, right? That, um, you know, the chiefs clearly had a weakness and they went and fix that weakness by trading with the Ravens. Um, you know, it's kind of a bold move. You know, usually don't see those sorts of trades, certainly not within division, but you know, within the conference, it's not like the, the Patriots and the Colts were making trades during the, the height of the, uh, the mm-hmm. Brady, uh, the Brady Manning rivalry, but, um, you know, so I have some questions about kind of what the Ravens offensive line is going to look like, but, um, but to me, it's really going to be about, like you said, for the Ravens to make that leap is, do can they find some sort of better defensive answer for for stopping the Chiefs? Because yeah, like you said, we haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I always love a good revenge game, and I love like when a player who is traded has like a key critical moment to help his new team win a game. But that's also kind of hard to imagine for an offensive lineman. You know, like it's not like they really have like dramatic moments. Like a guy's just good throughout the entire game. So like I'm just imagining like Orlando Brown somehow saving Patrick Mahomes' life from a blindside hit, like somehow out of nowhere and that leads to a touchdown and the Ravens just feel very bad about themselves for trading uh, a key player away to their probably biggest rival now in terms of winning the division or winning the conference over the next few years. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be okay so afc south here now 
a couple teams that stand out. You would leave Jacksonville and Houston probably to the wayside with Tennessee, a team that made it to the AFC championship game two years ago. And, you know, were competitive, but the Chiefs were able to slow down Derrick Henry, who did not have his best game. And then Ryan Tannehill, you know, had had decent numbers maybe by the end. He was 21 or 31 for two and nine. So not great, but but solid. But that wasn't enough to really compete with Mahomes in a game where they were really effective in the red zone. So we know the Chiefs' weakness in a lot of ways is their run defense. Do you think Tennessee has enough with their current roster where if Derrick Henry has a big game, they can beat the Chiefs? Because, I mean, we mentioned the playoff game, but I believe last year uh, in 2020, no, sorry, or earlier in the 2019 season, I should say, excuse me, Tennessee beat the Chiefs behind a big game from Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, I think they're another one of those teams where in the perfect scenario, when kind of everything breaks right and when Derrick Henry is able to have, you know, a 200-yard kind of game that I think you can you can see the way, you can see a path for the Titans to win those games. If it's a 10-game series, I still probably pick the Chiefs because I think mm-hmm. they have a better and more complete roster. I still have, I still have some questions about um, defensively, about the way that the Titans – are constructed and their ability to consistently slow an offense like the chiefs. Um, but I think, you know, there, there's a lot of best case scenarios where it would make sense where you could see this sort of thing working. I think the questions now for specifically looking at it through the lens of what has happened in 2021 is what is this offense going to look like? Who are the Titans going to be after losing Arthur Smith and will losing the guy who was, you know, largely responsible for Ryan Tannehill's Renaissance for mm-hmm. designing this, you know, this play action offense that, that he ran so well that, you know, how much of that is going to change and um, you know, will they look different in 2021? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, certainly retooled the defense. You bring in Bud Dupree, you, bring in Danico Autry, you move on from basically the entire secondary besides Kevin Byard, which not unwarranted given how bad the Tennessee secondary was last year, but you're getting by with guys like Janoris Jenkins. I believe Caleb Farley uh, is there as their first round pick. I mean, there's major questions about the secondary and whether it can hold up. And I, I don't want to have to find out against the Chiefs whether my rookie corner and my guy who's in his mid-30s are able to hold up against Travis Kelsey and uh, Tyreek Hill. I mean, they tried Bayard, who's a very good safety when he's on his game against Travis Kelsey, and that did not go well for Kevin Bayard. I don't think they want to do that again. So, you know, to me, it's okay. Well, they've upgraded the pass rush. Can Bud Dupree and company win enough one-on-one to slow down the Chiefs on offense, such as the Bucks did in that game? And I'm I don't know. I mean, I've I've not been a big Bud Dupree fan for most of his tenure, although he's obviously been very good the past couple of years. I think we have to see what he's like without TJ Watt on the other side of the field because mm-hmm. Bud Dupree got significantly better once TJ Watt turned into a superstar. So if Bud Dupree is great, if he is a 12, 13 sack a year guy, uh, a top 10 pass rusher this year, then yeah, I think they have a formula that could work. But if he's not a true superstar, then I think they're in trouble. And he is also coming off an ACL injury from early December. Mm -hmm. So his timeline, you know, he's not going to be, he's not out there for OTAs right now. You know, we probably won't, certainly won't be at mini camp. You know, he might be one of those guys with a December ACL that, you know, he's just getting back on the field for in September, you know, the, the timelines for these ACL recoveries keep getting faster and faster and faster, but Um, yeah, a lot of questions there. You know, I think Jeffrey Simmons is potential superstar. We just need to see it snap after snap after snap. Um, Caleb Farley is a really interesting, you know, first round pick cornerback Mm -hmm. who we haven't seen him. Like we haven't seen him do anything in forever because he's, he opted out last year. He's had the back injury that, Mm -hmm. you know, back surgery that kept him off of the field during all, all of the, uh, the pre-draft process. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, if he's, if he is like the prospect that a lot of people thought he was without all of these kind of question marks and the asterisks that went into the evaluation process on him, he makes them a lot better. Their other cornerback addition now is Janoris Jenkins, which I'm a little like, I, you know, 
Kevin. So let's say it's Janoris Jenkins, Kevin Johnson, who they signed out of yeah. Cleveland. Kevin I mean, Johnson will be in the slot probably. Like love. I don't love that secondary. Really like yeah. Kevin Bayard, you know, but I still have some uh, secondary questions about them. Like I would love for the Caleb Farley thing to work. Like I'd love for this guy to be able to come back after all of this adversity that he's faced and the injuries and didn't he have COVID right before the draft. He wasn't able to actually go to the draft because he tested positive in Cleveland. Like, I mean, That's he's been through a lot. So like, you know, it would be a great story if he, if, if it pans out for them. But I do mm-hmm. remember at the time it did feel like, Oh, the, this is a little bit of a risky pick for a Titans team that got burned with their first round pick last year too, where, you know, completely different type of risk mm-hmm. with their, you know, their offensive tackle who didn't work out and, you know, is already out of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's, you, you need to get better on defense. So they, they're going to need Caleb Farley to be an impact player uh, right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if they don't get Farley as an effective player, if Jenkins is not a above average corner, that secondary is going to get lit up just like it did last year. And they might have more of a pass rush to do something about it, but I, I don't think you can have both. I think, I think, yeah. you, I think you need to have both. I don't think you can have one or the other. And I think the Tennessee defense has not always been, has not really had a point where they've been both. So unless you get just a mammoth game from Derrick Henry with an 80 yard touchdown and 200 plus yards, it's really and that's always possible. That is you know, true. That's, always, that's always on the table when, when you talk about him. So yes, for you, know, sure. you never, you never want to rule that out. Right. But if Derrick Henry isn't hundred percent after two years of a heavy workload, or if he gets hurt, then it's tough to see this offense really holding up because it's just, it's so top heavy. Um, it, you know, it's AJ Brown, Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. If one of those guys gets hurt, the backups are replacement level players. So that's a little scary. Maybe if they had Julio Jones, that may change things, but I'm just a little concerned about the, the this team needing so many things to go right to have them be in a competitive game in the playoffs against the Chiefs. The Colts, on the other hand, the opposite, not a top-heavy team, a deep team, but do you think they have the star power to beat the Colts, to beat the Chiefs, which is something they did with Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback, back in 2019? Uh, I mean, it's just such a they're just such a big quarterback question mark. And, you know, I guess I keep coming back to like every team that I say is ready to compete with the chiefs. It's because they've figured out their quarterback situation. And I just, I have no idea if this Wednesday thing is going to work. And I mean, I guess if, if there's anybody who can fix him, it's Frank Reich, but I guess until I've seen it until we've like seen a little bit of what, what Wentz looks like in this new situation, I have a hard time saying that they're going to be like a legit AFC contender. Yeah. I mean, we know Wentz has that range of outcomes, right? Where, I mean, we saw him play at an MVP level several years ago. That would be ideal if he could pull it off with the Colts. I don't know if they have enough around him. I mean, Eric Fisher is coming off of an Achilles injury at left tackle. We've seen him be very sensitive to his tackle play where he's been much worse without Lane Johnson. Um, and to some extent, Jason Peters during his time in Philadelphia, um, the wide receivers are a question mark. I mean, T.Y. Hilton is getting up there. Was not always effective last year. Paris Campbell has been hurt pretty much his entire pro career, which is a bummer because I think he looked like he was going to be really promising at the start of last season. He was healthy for literally one game. Um, you know, Michael Pittman could turn out to be great, but we just don't know. I mean, that game against the Chiefs in 2018 where the Colts beat the Chiefs, or 2019, where the Colts beat the Chiefs in week five was like a really classic, like pre-Bucks blueprint game where they held the Chiefs to, I believe they were four of 12 on third down. They did not score in the red zone, held them to like, like a bunch of field goals and the Colts turned the ball over once. And I think you can do that, but I just think it's tough to count on your defense holding the Chiefs to field goals repeatedly in the red zone. You might have that happen, which we saw in 2019, but I think it would take, if not the 20, what was it, 2017 version of Wentz where he was like an MVP candidate, I think it at least has to be the better version of the guy from 2018 and 2019 where he was a, you know, maybe a, a like the eighth or ninth best quarterback in football. I think he has to be that guy for the Colts to have a reliable shot at competing with the Chiefs. Yeah, I think so. They're a, everything has to go right kind of situation. And that's, you know, that's, 
that maybe isn't a great place to be in when you're talking about Super Bowl contenders. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they're a team that we're going to be talking a ton about this season. I think they should be. I don't, are they the favorite to win that division? I don't know. Like maybe it's still the Titans, but mm-hmm. I think they're a team that's going to be in the playoff race. We're going to, they're going to be in a lot of really important, exciting games. Um, but I'm just not sure if they're ready to be there in that elite group. And there were times last year that we, that you would maybe put the Colts in that, just in that, that next tier down, because mm-hmm. we just knew a little bit more about what you were going to get out of Phillip rivers week to week to week and what the ceiling was with Phillip rivers. And you know, best case scenario, I think for the, for the Colts right now is that their ceiling is kind of where it was last year that you got Philip rivers level of play out mm-hmm. of Carson Wentz. My fear is that the floor is way lower because if you get 2020 Eagles level Carson Wentz, then mm-hmm. that drops the Colts level of play in their, in their, their ceiling pretty significantly because if he's a guy who's who's spooked who is holding on the ball forever who is committing turnovers you know that's a that's a really big problem and you know I like a lot of these other pieces like you know I think Eric Fisher can be a really good left tackle once he's healthy that's kind of a long-term thing right there if that if that recovery is slow and they're starting Sam Tevy earlier in the year I don't love that right I don't I don't love that if you're the Colts um So I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I like them and this exercise, I don't want, I don't want it to come off where it's like, if you say that a team, I don't think a team is a Super Bowl contender necessarily right now, that doesn't mean they're a bad team and they're not going to be a contender and really interesting and playing exciting football. It just means that they might still be a tear down from the best teams in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Let's finish up here. I mean, the AFC West has pretty much been the chief's domain over the past few years. Is there any reason to think any of these teams will give the Chiefs a serious scare in 2021? Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's the Chargers. And I've already kind of been on record saying that I think the potential, like if everything everything breaks right, (laughs) I mean, you, they've already played well against each other. The Chargers, I know it's a new coaching staff there, but there's a lot of familiarity, you know, um, there that's going on and they've got the the young really good up-and-coming quarterback who his first start uh, Justin Herbert's first start was against the Chiefs a game that he didn't even prepare for because he didn't Mm -hmm. know he was playing until uh, Tyra Taylor got stabbed in the lung like an hour or less before before kickoff but he went out there and he was not afraid he went blow for blow with Patrick Mahomes. It was early in the season, but you know, we saw him do that week after week where they did end up losing a lot of those close games. But what I saw to Justin Herbert in year one is showing me that this is the guy who is going to make this division really freaking fun and is going to make the chargers competitive in these games against the chiefs in a way that, um, a lot of times Derek Carr has not been for the Raiders and certainly the, revolving carousel of quarterbacks that the Broncos have trotted out there since 2018 and in every single game that they've played against the chiefs since, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes made his first start at the end of the 2018 or the 2017 season, um, against the Broncos. So we can include the Broncos when you go all the way back to the start of the Patrick Mahomes era where they haven't had anybody who's competitive. The chargers have a guy now who is going to make them potentially competitive and you know, they had some big offensive line questions and they addressed that. They went after that this offseason. Um, they still have some of the best defensive players in football. You're getting Derwin James back, mm-hmm. who's just been this like forgotten, forgotten guy, I think, because he got hurt so early last year that he was just a non-factor at all during the 2020 season. Um, but, you know, he should be a defense of the year candidate mm-hmm. you know, year in and year out. And you have one of the best I mean, where would you put Joey Bosa? Like top five defensive players? I mean, he's in my top two Bosa's for top two, top two Bosa's. Okay. That's fair. Um, When we did our, we did our draft for non-quarterbacks. I ended up taking Nick Bosa because I was taking contract contract, value and stuff into account. And, you know, ultimately like Nick might end up being better, but he is coming off of the ACL, but Mm -hmm. you know, just in terms of like, you know, guys right now that you're going to go and trot out there week one, Right now, I mean, Joey Bosa, You, I think every defensive quarter in the NFL would kill to have Joey Bosa lining mm-hmm. up as a pass rusher. So, you know, I just think there's a lot to like there. I'm really intrigued by what a Brandon Staley defense is going to look like with that collection of players. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing with the charges, you just can't, 
if we get we get so excited about them. And when I say we, I say the collective NFL yes. media yes. this time every single year. And so, you know, I don't want to get too excited about them. But when I look at the AFC West, who, if everything breaks right, which team is set up to ha- play really competitive games against the Chiefs throughout the season, you know, I think it's the Chargers. The Raiders played some fun games. I mean, they actually they beat, the, beat Chiefs the Chiefs last yeah. year. Um, it was kind of a perfect storm situation where everything went exactly the way that it needed to. Mm. Um, and I don't know how often you can rely on that happening. And I'm not sure how much better the Raiders have gotten this off season. Um, you know, I, the Broncos are an interesting case because, and this is where my, my whole philosophy of like gauging everything against through the lens of the chiefs. And are you better than you were or more competitive against the chiefs. It's, it's living in Denver and looking at the Broncos moves and analyzing the Broncos moves. And when you look at everything they've done this, this off season, you know, they, they've done a lot to retool and improve their defense. And when they made that move to draft in the, in the first round where they passed up the opportunity to draft Justin Fields mm-hmm. and they took uh, Patrick Sertan, yes. the cornerback, like, I can see where you say, okay, this is going to help us in all of our games against the Chiefs. It's going to give Vic Fangio, you know, and Christian Parker, their new defensive backs coach, like unlimited flexibility uh, in their secondary and in their, Mm -hmm. it's going to make them a better defense. But ultimately, does that make you more competitive um, and closer to the Chiefs? And without getting significant better quarterback play, you're not any closer to the Chiefs. And Mm -hmm. like, now can the Broncos, can they maybe hold the chiefs to 28 points? Sure. 24 points, 21 points. Maybe you'll be better. You'll be in a better position to slow the chiefs down, mm-hmm. but the way that until we see that, whether it's drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater is able to consistently score 28 plus points against the chiefs, which they have not been close to competing with the chiefs for a very, very long time. Um, being getting better on defense. I'm not sure how much, how much closer that makes you to actually competing in your division. And then ultimately, you know, being relevant in the NFL. Mm, Absolutely. Let me finish up with this, Lindsay, one more question for you as we wrap up here. If you had to choose, I'm going to give you two sides. You have to pick one side of this bet. You can pick the chiefs to win the AFC, or you can pick the field, the other 15 teams, one of the other 15 teams to win the AFC. Who are you choosing? I'm going to take the Chiefs. That's what I thought. Me too. I don't want to have to root against the Chiefs. I picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl last year. I had no issue being wrong because I didn't want to sit there and have to root against Patrick Mahomes. I'm not doing that to myself again. And I think going through this exercise, so many teams popped up with the, oh, well, they have to have everything go right or they have to do this or that. Whereas like the average outcome for the Chiefs feels like they are the best team in the AFC. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's mm-hmm. they're not infallible. They're going to lose games this year. They're going to have stinker of a games. Patrick Mahomes is going to have the three turnover games. But when we're when we're talking about the landscape of the AFC, the they have the best quarterback. They have one of the best play callers. You know, one of the most innovative coaches who has shown willingness to adapt and evolve year after year. And they have a front office slash, you know, general manager and Brett Veach, who looked at what happened last year and said, okay, we have to fix our biggest mm-hmm. problem. And that was completely re- revamping their offensive line. They're going to have five new starters on the offensive line, which is risky, except for when you look at who their starters were in the Super Bowl last year. And you say, get rid of all of them. That's mm-hmm. fine. We don't want any, We don't want any of that. I mean, I guess Mike Remmers technically could end up being their starting right tackle this year, but I think it's probably better for the Chiefs and everybody involved if we're not talking about Mike Rummers um, yes. starting more games for them. Yes. But so, you know, when we're talking about the landscape here is the, the chief's baseline of excellent, like they're a, well, now we're talking about 17 games. So like, what's their floor is their floor 12 wins. And then potentially got better by fix, you know, by addressing this, all their offensive line issues. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes it really hard for the rest of the AFC. If this is a team where very similar to who the Patriots were for a very, very long time, where, you know, that they're going to be an 11 win, a 12 win team mm-hmm. year after year, that that just to compete there, you just, you have to one hope that you're going to get lucky, a perfect scenario. Um, 
And like, you just have to get to that level. And I don't think really any of these other teams, I mean, maybe the bills, you know, I think the bills and the Ravens and the Browns are teams that I can look at and say like, yeah, those are double digit win teams. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if anybody else that we talked about is for sure a double digit win team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Lindsay, you mentioned the non quarterback draft you did. Please plug that and please plug where people can check out more of the work you do. Yeah, for sure. So you can, you can follow me on Twitter at by Lindsay H Jones and everything I'm writing um, is at the athletic um, kind of working on some off season projects now, which I'm really excited about. And um, yeah, and you can hear me weekly on the athletic football show with Robert Mays and sometimes with Robert Mays and Nate Tice, we just did two really fun episodes the past two weeks where we drafted our kind of most valuable players for the next five years. We did a quarterback draft and then we did a non quarterback draft and it was messy and ridiculous. <laughs> and fun and uh, some surprises. And I might have drafted a 43-year-old quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Lindsay, thanks so much for hopping on the show, as always. Thanks, Phil. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, Lindsay Jones of The Athletic. We have more audio coming next week, more NFL coverage here on The Bill Burnwell Show.